comfort and joy. Four weeks we're going to be talking about comfort and joy. Comfort, two weeks. Joy, two weeks. Probably not enough time to talk about all the wonderful blessings we have in Jesus Christ. I just want to remind you of that. I, I hope you can get your Mary on. I hope you can you get into the, the feeling of the season. I know there's so many reasons why we have to be grumpy or upset or worried that Amazon's not going to deliver the bazillion packages that have been ordered, right? Are you worried about that? I'm amazed. I ordered all my Christmas presents I ordered on Friday, and they said they're going to be delivered today. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. It'll be amazing if that happens. So we worry. We worry about presents. We worry about can we gather. If if a family, are we going to have the big Christmas thing? They they told us not to enjoy Thanksgiving. Now they're telling us not to enjoy Christmas. And what's going to happen? You know, there's a lot of reasons we can complain. I know. Life is filled with disappointments. And let me be honest with you. The Bible says that that's what's going to (laughs) happen. Expect it. Expect it. Again, the number one thing Christians need to remember, especially this time of year or during any suffering or trial, that this isn't heaven. We've got to remind ourselves that. We, we want it to be heaven here. We want it to be heaven on earth, but it's, it's not. God promises us this is not heaven. How many of you are thankful it's going to get better than this? Amen? It's going to get better. We're, we're reminded that we have trials and sufferings and disappointments all because... Genesis 3, Genesis 5, sin entered the world. From the moment sin entered the world, there's been decay, decline. Man's inhumanity to man. It's just been an onward, downward spiral, out of control. And the Bible lets us know that God's in heaven. He's waiting. He's watching all of this. And there's coming a time. Boy, it, does, it just seems like it's got to be close. There's coming a time when God's going to say, that's enough. That's enough of that pain and suffering and that mess that's down there. That's it. And he's going to look at Jesus. He's going to say, go get him. Go, go, go get your bride. The Bible says that nobody knows the day or the hour. So don't be one of those Christians who try to figure out and declare a day because then we know it can't be that day. So don't do that. We know that only God knows the day and hour. And I don't, I mean, I, I know he's given us the signs of, of how things will be. And it looks like it's close. But there's, there's just going to be a moment where God says, enough. Jesus, go get your bride. And he's coming. Comfort and joy. I want to read for you again the verse that's our theme for this whole thing. We had Tracy read it. We'll read it each week. But I I like it on the screen. And I highlighted the comfort words in red. It's, It's overwhelming how many times the word comfort's in this passage. You think the author's got a point? Praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. Everybody say comfort. Matter of fact, every time we get to that part, instead of having me stop and have you repeat it, you just all say the words in red when I get there, okay? Who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm, because we know that just as you share in our suffering, so also you share in our comfort. 
What a great passage for comfort and joy. Even when we get to the joy part, we're still going to read this passage because I think the only way you'll get to joy is the comfort of Christ. Joy comes realizing that our God is compassionate and Jesus came to be our comfort in this world. That's not heaven, it's the world. So back to the big idea. The big idea today is our compassionate God sent Jesus to comfort you, not to make you comfortable. Are you with me? Everybody say yes, PD. That's what I want to do this morning is kind of define the word comfort because we got we to get this right. Because when we say comfort, you might be thinking comfortable. And can I tell you, the Bible makes it clear that you as a believer, you're not going to get comfortable in this world. Don't get com- The Bible actually said don't get comfortable here. This is not your home. You're just passing through, alien. You're just passing through, stranger. So don't set up shop here. Don't get comfortable here as if this is heaven. No, no. But he came to bring us comfort. Comfortable. Oh, everybody say, oh. I, 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 it's really easy to type comfortable into Google and just push images and then it comes up. Uh, the first one came up is that picture on the bottom there. That, that, that's an incredible like beanbag chair thing. That the whole family is in. That looks comfortable. Looks like a velvet gray thing over a mega beanbag or memory foam or something. I don't know what's in there, but it's wonderful. I can tell you that. And then they got that comfy blanket on them and they're all snuggled up. That just looks comfortable. And then, of course, the dog and the cat. I just had to throw animals out. You're going to throw animals up. You might as well throw the baby and the dog, right? I've topped it all today. We've got babies and animals. Comfortable. Everybody say comfortable. The dictionary says comfortable is providing physical ease and relaxation. And we all, all love to be comfortable. I'm not telling you there's anything wrong with wanting to be comfortable, you know. And and I'm going to tell you that we spend a lot of money on comfortable because that's all the world can market for you is comfortable. They can sell you stuff and we buy stuff. I was thinking about it and I wrote down what I like. I, I love my warm wool socks. I just got some new ones. I wear them out during the winter. I just wear them out because I wear them in the house everywhere. I've gotten old and and when you get old, your feet get cold. It's weird, you know? And so I got to, I put my wool socks on when I walk around the house and I put on my shorts. When I get home, immediately when I get home, I go right through the kitchen, go right to the hallway, right to my room and I throw on shorts. I'm uncomfortable. I want comfortable. First thing I do, wool socks, shorts, and then all of us probably have that gross old sweatshirt. Do you have that sweatshirt that you can't wear in public anymore? I've got a Harley sweatshirt I can't wear in public anymore. It's, it's too warm. My wife said, don't wear that in public. But I wear it at home. 12.35 today at my house, I'm going to be walking through, putting on my wool socks, shorts, and that gross Harley sweatshirt that's awesome. I'm going to get comfortable. And you know where I'm going to head after we eat? We're gonna, I'm going to head downstairs because I have a big brown recliner. Oh, I've got a big brown. A couple years ago, Julie bought me my own recliner for Christmas. It's leather. It's got the, the joystick. And I kick my legs out. Got wool socks sticking out there. I'm comfortable. I found that downstairs gets cold and so that leather gets cold. So I have a specific blanket that I've got. It's furry. It looks like that gray one there. It's, it's kind of furry and it's soft. And I put that over the back. It's not for on me. This is just for the recliner to be warm. 
so I can be on it. And then, Jeff, you, your sister made me a prayer shawl. Remember that, the Afghan prayer shawl? It fits perfectly over that problem. So I've got a blanket and an Afghan prayer shawl. My daughters came home and they said, Dad, you have immediately become old. You've got an Afghan throw. I'm like, it's comfortable. And that's what I sit on. I sit on all of that, and then I have a comfortable blanket. Oh, I know, it's a scene. Some of you are able to picture the scene, and you're like, stop talking. (laughs) I hate what I'm seeing, but I love it. I love to be comfortable. Not only that, I love it when my dog's by my feet. I'm on that comfy couch, and my dog comes, and he just settles by my feet. And if he gets it just right, I can reach over and just pet him without moving too far. And my wife's at my beck and call. No, it's not. It's not. I just thought I'd keep going for the dream there, right? But most of that's true. We love comfortable. Who doesn't? Who doesn't? But God did not send Jesus to make you comfortable. And we got to get that out of our mind. We'll always be living in disappointment in this world if we think that God's promised us to be comfortable. I've found in Christianity, God's calling us out of our comfort zone and into a new life that's daring and risky and challenging and comes with hurts and sorrows. That's what we're called to, not comfortable, but living life on the edge for Jesus. And even if out there things go bad, he promises his comfort. Everybody say comfort. Comfort's not providing physical ease and relaxation. Here's comfort. I typed in comfort. The definition is providing strength, hope, and ease of grief and trouble. Put it in Google, got the definition, then pushed images, and these are the images that come up. A parent with a teenager that's been hurt. A father with a baby that needs to be consoled. And then hands. I, wouldn't, I couldn't believe all the images of hands holding hands for the word comfort. That's what God has done for us. Not to make you comfortable, but to give you comfort. The image you should have over comfort and joy is that God sent Jesus and he offers us his hand. As we go through this, we have his hand. Comfort. I want to take us to one passage today. Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30. It's not really a Christmas passage, but I, I want to emphasize what comfort is in Scripture. Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30. You can look it up. It'd probably be great if you had it on your Bible or your, or your little digital thing so that when we leave this screen, you'll have it in front of you. So uh, there's Bibles in some of the seats too. Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30. This is Jesus talking and he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Jesus. Jesus is our comfort. In Scripture, he he talks about the way. He talks about following him and and in this passage particularly it should lead us to understand that he wants to give us comfort and and the word there in the verse is rest everybody say rest and it's not a nap Uh, a nap is good but we're talking a soul rest do you know what a soul rest is versus a nap (laughs) a nap will get you by 
A nap usually messes me up. I usually got to get up from a nap and drink a lot of coffee, and then I'm awake. Wait, you know, it's crazy. A nap is temporary, but soul rest is that peace within that you can have real rest and peace. We want that. I want that more than I want comfort. Because to be honest with you, I can buy a lot of things that will bring me comfort, and I still can't sleep at night. Because I'm worried and anxious. Because I'm fearful and afraid. I don't know about you, but there's a lot going on in this world. And we get overcome. But God says, I've come to give you rest. Soul rest. A deep rest. Better than a nap. A peace and a restfulness. Who wants that? Raise your hand. I want that. I need that deep soul rest. So I found two things. As I was looking through these verses, I really found two things. Whoa. I see that Jesus gives us two invitations in these verses, and then with the invitations, he gives us some promises. He gives us invitations and said, if you'll take these, then I'll give you these. So let's look at the two invitations first. The first invitation here is, come to me. Everybody say, come. Come to me. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened. What a great invitation. Jesus, the Prince of Heaven, came here to earth, and then as he went and he spoke, he, he, he was alive for 30 years before he started his ministry, only lived for 33 and a half years before he was crucified. So for three years he had this ministry. Three and a half years he traveled and spoke, and one of the things he told people is, come to me. Don't you love the passage where Jesus has the little children coming? And, 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 the, and of course the disciples are like, no, 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 stop it back off, back off, you don't have a backstage pass, get away, you know. And they're the bouncers. The disciples decided they were bouncers. And Jesus is like, oh, no, 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 no. Let the children come to me. Everybody say come. See, Jesus invites people. And the invitation is come to me. Well, we've got to ask the question then, come to who? Who's this person making this invitation? This person is Jesus, the Son of God, Creator and the eternal word. Let's look at that in scripture and show you here on the screens. In John 1, 1 through 3. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. Jesus is the son of God. And he is the creator. He was there. The Bible makes it very clear he was there at creation. He is the eternal word. In the beginning was the word. And then there's Hebrews 1, 1 through 3. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. Once again, the Bible is clear. There's two clear passages that state these things. Jesus is the son of God, the creator, and the eternal word. It's that person who says to us, come. He's approachable. He's welcoming. (laughs) And he invites you and me and people you know that don't know him, the atheist and the flaming liberal, they're all welcome. (laughs) He says to everybody, there is no clause here. You understand that correctly? There's no clause here. Come to me if you... Come to me if you, there's no if. Come to me, Jesus says. 
this morning, if you've never come to Jesus, today is your come to Jesus moment. Come to him. He's inviting. Who is he inviting is the second question you ought to ask. Who? Who can come? Who should come? Well, he tells us the tired, the weary, the burdened, all y'all. Everybody say all (laughs) y'all. That's a good southern way to say it. All y'all are invited. That's what I hate the most about this coronavirus thing and the days we're living in. We, we want to say all y'all, all y'all, but then we can't fit all y'all. What a pain this is. I can't wait for the days where we can pack the place again. And we can tell our neighbors and our coworkers, all y'all come, all y'all come. Be here together. I'm thankful for you that are watching online. You've been faithful. You've been steady and, and watching every week. I'm thankful that we worked on the the feed, and hopefully the feed's better and solid. But all y'all, are you tired today? Are you weary? Are you you in need of some soul rest? A nap just ain't going to cut it. An Afghan ain't going to cut it. Are you in need of soul rest, something deep, a peace? This is what Jesus says, come to me. That's the first invitation. Did I read the verse? 1 Peter 5, 7. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. What a great invitation. First invitation's come. The second invitation in this passage is take my yoke and learn. Take my yoke and learn. First question we ought to ask is what is his yoke? Now, we're in Western civilization, and so we know the yoke. Can you all picture a yoke with me? Picture a yoke with my head through this wooden apparatus. And then there's another hole here, right? There's a hole here and a hole. We know what the yoke is. How many of you know, can you can picture in your mind what a yoke is? That's what we think of when we read this passage. And it is a, an image that you should have in your mind, but I need to explain it a little further. Because there's something more going on here that we don't know unless we get into the Eastern culture of who Jesus is. You see, Jesus was known in those three and a half years he did his ministry, he was known as a rabbi. Now, don't get that wrong. It wasn't until after the dispersa that um, the, the, the Jewish made a formal position of rabbi. It was actual like pastor or priest, uh, rabbi. That's how we know it today, right? But I got to tell you this, don't, don't be upset, but I, I went into a restaurant back when we could, and it was a couple weeks ago, and I was in a restaurant, and it was a small little restaurant, only like four tables. I walked in, and there was a priest sitting there with his priest thing on. And as soon as I walked in, Josh looked at me and said, oh, Dad, don't. I'm like, oh, I got to. So I walked up to the priest, and I said, hey, I'm, I'm Pastor Jackson from Oakwood. We've got a priest and a pastor. If only a rabbi would walk in, we could start a really good joke. <laughs> and he laughed. He slapped his knees, and he slapped me on the back, and my, my son just rolled his eyes. See, we know of those formal titles, priest, pastor, rabbi. Now, don't get it wrong. Jesus was known as a rabbi, but back then they didn't have a formal. You were known as a rabbi because the word rabbi means master or great one, teacher. In the Bible, people would say rabbi. You could translate that teacher or master. You see that in Scripture all the time, master, teacher, rabbi. So he was not a Jewish rabbi in the sense that we know of today, but he was a rabbi. People knew him as a teacher, He had followers. When you were a rabbi, you typically had people who followed you, disciples we call them. Typically, you know from what we've taught here at Oakwood that a rabbi or a teacher would would select his followers carefully. Many of the people who wanted to be Talmudines would learn the Talmud, learn it by heart, (laughs) 
Can you imagine learning the Old Testament word for word? These young students who wanted to follow a good rabbi would learn the entire Old Testament so that when the, the, the rabbi would come and select, you would be one of the thought highly of. You, you had to earn it to be selected a Talmudine. But Jesus was totally different. He was known as rabbi, and yet he picked unqualified people. Just to make my point, all y'all come. He picked fishermen. He went down to the docks. He didn't find people who had been studying the Old Testament word for word. He just found regular people. And he said, follow me. See, he was a rabbi choosing, follow me. It was an invitation. Everybody say invitation. Follow me. And when you followed a rabbi, when you had a, a, somebody to follow, a teacher, a great one, a master, you wanted to be with him and hear everything. That's where the idiom comes, eat my dust. Do you know that back then you wanted to eat the dust of the rabbi? In other words, he would walk down the road and you were right on his tail. You were eating his dust off his sandals because you didn't want to miss any word. So you were that close on his heels. You were eating his dust. Back then it was a positive thing. Now it's like, my car's faster than yours, eat my dust. But a disciple wanted to be close to the master because you wanted to learn everything he had to say. And then there's another idiom. My yoke. I know we've got the picture of the two ox in this apparatus and they pull together. And that's usually what's taught. But that's not all that's meant here. Do you know that at the time... A rabbi's teaching was called his yoke. His take on scriptures was called his yoke. And if you were to be his Talmudian, if you were to be his disciple, if you were to be his follower, you were to take his yoke upon you. All of his teachings, you were to connect his teachings with him and you were bound and slocked with what he taught, his yoke. And that's why Jesus here says, Take my yoke. What he's saying is, take what I'm teaching and agree to it. Immerse yourself into what I'm speaking. And that's exactly why the religious leaders had a problem with Jesus. Because when he taught, what was the response? Think about it in Scripture. Every time Jesus taught, somebody would say, he speaks as somebody with authority. Everybody say authority. The reason why they said that, it goes to this yoke idiom. Because you could never espouse or speak or preach a yoke, a teaching, unless you were given the authority by a master ahead of you. A master had to say, you've got it now. Now you take the yoke and get your own disciples. And so people were amazed. Jesus would speak and and they would say, man, his yoke is different. His yoke is not what the other rabbis speak. He's got a new yoke. And that ticked off the religious leaders. He speaks as one who has authority, and yet nobody had given the authority. That's why the religious leaders went to Jesus and said, who gave you this authority to preach this new yoke? And he said, nobody. My father gave it to me. See, Jesus didn't sit underneath a rabbi to learn. He gave the yoke. He clarified the yoke. He had to fix the yoke because the religious leaders had added so much to God's word that it was a heavy burden. 
the, the leaders had given a yoke about following God that was too heavy for anybody to bear. They couldn't live up underneath it. 600 and some laws and rules to follow. And they prided themselves to make it harder and harder. And that Jesus comes and he says something totally different. Come, all y'all, come follow me. Be my disciple, be my Talmudine, come. Take my yoke upon you. Oh, I'm getting excited about this. What's his yoke? It's Jesus' teachings. If you're going to come along and say, God, I accept you. I want you to be my Savior. You also must attach yourself to his teachings and take them on as he gave them. John 6, 29. Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. In order to take his yoke, the first thing you need to do is believe. Everybody say believe. Then John 15, 4. Remain or abide in me, so I also will remain or abide in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain or abide in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain or abide in me. Everybody say remain. Everybody say abide. Yoke. Do you see the yoke? Yoke. The teachings of Jesus. So what do we know? How do you take his yoke? Believe and abide. Again this morning, have you accepted the invitation of come to me? Has there been a time in your life when you've said, I'm answering Jesus' invitation. He says, come, I'm going to come. Have you come to Jesus? Do you believe? And are you willing to abide? Stay. Don't just make a decision. Become a disciple. Follow him closely on his heels. Eat his dust. Listen to his teachings. That's taking his yoke. He says, take my yoke and learn. Well, what should I learn? Well, if you're with him, you need to follow in his steps. 1 Peter 2, 21. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Everyone say follow. See, that's what we're called to, friends. You're not called to make a decision. This is not a one and done thing. This is not a raise your hand or come to the altar. This is, this is a decision that you are going to yoke with Christ. You're taking his teachings. You're, you're connecting with Jesus and you'll remain. Everybody say remain. That's what it means to be a Christ follower. Believe, abide, take his yoke and learn. Follow in his steps. You know, in the Old Testament times, the rabbi would take his Talmudians, probably young guys, and, and he would sometimes take them for a hike. He'd just get up, and all the rabbi had to do is just prepare and go. He didn't tell the guys, okay, here's what we're going to do. See, today, we, I was a youth pastor, and I learned that you had to, every day, if you're on a trip, you had to sit them down. Okay, young people, here's what's going to happen today. Today, we're going to stretch, we're going to eat, we're going to go on a six-mile hike. It's six miles, point two, it's, trust me. And then what we're going to do is we're going to come back and we're going to relax and we're going to eat dinner and then we're going to play games and then we're going to take a nap. And you've got to tell them everything because some students can't handle not knowing. But this wasn't what they did in, in the olden times. A rabbi would wake up and start putting on clothes and the, his Talmudians had better be watching. Why is he putting on more stuff? I think we're going somewhere that might be colder. We better put on some warmer stuff. And, and they would watch him put on his clothes. They would put on clothes. He would start walking and they'd start walking with him. They had to follow in his steps. There's stories about rabbis who would 
take his students on a a 10-mile hike up a mountain. And and right before they got to the the bottom of the mountain, before they started ascending, he would maybe take off a piece of his clothing and wrap it around his head. And then he'd keep going. They would follow him 10 miles up, 10 miles down. He'd get down and he'd say, when we started this hike, I put my headband on this way. You didn't do it. Do it again. Go. They were to follow everything, every action, every step, every word. Follow. Everybody say follow. That's what it means to learn. Do what Jesus did. The Bible says, remember the, uh, the bracelet? Remember the bracelets that were real popular, WWJD? What would Jesus do? That got so burnt out and overused, nobody likes to do it anymore. But talk about a, a really good sentiment. We should be asking in every situation, what would Jesus do? That's what a disciple should do. What Jesus did, we do. I should learn. I should follow in his steps. I must believe. I must abide. So we come. We take his yoke and learn. Those are the invitations. Have you accepted those? If not, do it today. At the end of the service, I'll lead you in a prayer, and you can accept Jesus, the invitation to come. You can accept that today. You can take his yoke upon you. And he gives two promises of those who do that. Number one, he says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It's such an odd saying when he says, my yoke is easy. It doesn't look very easy, does it? The big, heavy, wooden metal or wooden thing with the heads coming through. But Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. An easy yoke? (laughs) Jesus' teachings are uncomplicated, friends. I'm not saying they're easy to, to live out, but they're uncomplicated. See, Jesus came and he uncomplicated what the people ahead of him had complicated. That's why Jesus said, I'm not coming to destroy the law, but I've come to fulfill the law. When you would not follow the truth, that was destroying the law. Jesus said, I'm not coming to destroy the law. I'm just coming to fulfill the law. Live it out so my followers can do exactly. Light burden? What's what's this light burden? Jesus' teachings are not a heavy weight that I am unable to carry. Jesus came to demolish the old because the old was wrong. That's why they didn't like him. The teachers of the law had many, many rules. They were impossible to live up to. Jesus come and said no. He taught uncomplicated truth, but hard to live. The last will be first. The first will be last. Turn the other cheek. Forgive. Be generous. Uncomplicated, right? Amen? but very hard to follow, right? That's why we must walk in his steps every way. It's not a heavy weight that you're unable to carry. So his yoke is light, the burden is light, and the yoke is easy. The second promise is this. You will find rest for your souls, amen? What a great promise. The world tries to market comfort and rest, but they can't do it. You can purchase comfortable, but not soul rest. Today, if you really want soul rest, that deep sense of peace, even in hard situations, come to Jesus. Believe in him. Take his yoke upon you, and he promises you, I will give you that rest that you can't buy from Amazon. You can't go to Bed Bath & Beyond and get this. You can get a lot of stuff to get comfortable, but it won't provide you soul rest. 
Only Jesus provides that kind of rest. And that's hope. Everybody say hope. That's why Christmas is beautiful. It's the hope for the world. It's the hope we have of soul rest, of real peace. That's why the angels couldn't contain themselves. I love the Christmas story. Because they talking to, they got one angel talking to some shepherds. That was freaky enough. Again, every time an angel shows up, he's got to say, stop peeing your pants. That's, that's my version of the Hebrew. The, do not be afraid. Why? Because one angel's amazing. You know, probably burning fiery swords and all that, and just amazing to see. But what I love about the story when they said that Jesus came and he told the shepherd, it's like heaven couldn't contain the rest of the angels. The other angels are watching from heaven and they're like, Tell him about Jesus. He just told him, Let's go. And they all came down and said, Glory. And they did this huge Christmas Eve show. And it was amazing. All the angels couldn't contain the glory of God. And they all came down in heavenly house. Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Say it. Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Comfort and joy. That's what peace is. That's what peace is. Rest for your weary soul. Are you there with me, friends? Aren't you happy that Christmas tells us that Jesus, the burdened and restless, find hope? Let me end with this Psalm 62. And team, why don't you come up and join me for the closing benediction? Psalm 62, 5 through 7 says, Yes, my soul, find rest in God. My hope comes from Him. Truly, He is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. My salvation and my honor depend on God. He is my mighty rock, my refuge. Do you see it, friends? Do you see that God sent Jesus comfort and joy so we can have peace, so we can have soul rest? Are you burdened today? Are you weary and tired deep down, like in your soul you're exhausted? You can only fix that with some soul rest. So I ask you again, Have you come to Jesus? Do you believe? Did you take his yoke upon you? How do you do that? Some of you might be saying, well, I came to church. I'll come to church. I'll I'll come, come. I'll come on Sundays. I'll come. Maybe that's it. Am I doing it? Am I doing it? Am I doing it? I remember sitting in the conference room here at Oakwood with a single young lady. And my wife came so we could meet with her. And she told me, she said, Pastor, I've been coming. I've been giving money. I've been, and she started listing all the things she was doing. And she says, am I, am I doing it right? Am I missing something? She said, I just feel like there's something missing. And I'm like, yes. Have you ever accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior? Have you ever prayed and said, God, I know I'm a sinner. Please forgive me of my sin and come into my life as my Savior and Lord. And she said, no, I've, I've not done that. I said, let's pray. Let's do it right now. I said, I'm going to pray. And then I want you to pray after my prayer. And make sure you ask God to forgive you of your sins and come into your life as Savior and Lord. Forgive you of your sins. That's accepting the invitation of come. Come into my life as Savior and Lord. That's the yoke. Do you believe and are you really to take up his yoke? You can do it this morning. If you've never done that before and you want to make sure as we head into Christmas that you come to Jesus and you can find peace and rest with him, let's pray. I'm going to pray first. Father God, in the name of Jesus, I pray a blessing on these people. God, whether at home or whether here in this room, as we hear this beautiful story of the incarnation of Jesus who's come for us, and the invitation is come, 
God, I pray this morning, even this morning, somebody would say, yes, I want to accept this invitation today. I'm going to come to Jesus. I'm going to ask him to forgive my sin. I'm going to come into my life as Savior and Lord. I'm going to take that yoke. If that's you this morning, you don't have to raise your hand. You don't have to look around, but you can pray a prayer similar to this. There's no magic prayer. You don't have to say it like this, but it needs to include something like, dear God, I know I'm a sinner. I've not been perfect. Please forgive me of my sin. Come into my life as my Savior and Lord. And if you can pray that prayer, believing in the name of Jesus, ready to start a new life as a follower and disciple, if you've done that this morning, you, the Bible says, you will be saved. I don't want to embarrass anybody, but I want to give you an opportunity to respond. If anybody's here in this room that did that prayer this morning and and you've never done that before and you're saying, "I I want to receive Christ. I prayed that prayer just now to receive Christ. Would you just raise your hand so I could see it? Raise your hand right where you're at and say, that's me. I want Jesus today. I want to accept his invitation to come to him. I want soul rest, anybody. Well, God, we're thankful for the message of Christmas. We're thankful that we can have comfort God, we look forward to joy, but we're thankful for Jesus. God, I pray that we would uh, take upon us the challenge to invite people to, to the Christmas Eve service so they can hear all of this good news about Jesus, our comfort and joy. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.